Welcome to another episode of Left Coast Sports with John Schaefer. And Left Coast Sports is brought to you by the Multicultural Health Foundation. Reimagining wellness, we're shifting the conversation from managing illness to inspiring wellness. The NCAA tournament provided everything that we had hoped it would throughout that opening weekend. Upsets, buzzer beaters, high drama, and the biggest takeaway has been the dominance of the Pac-12 with UCLA, USC, Oregon, and Oregon State all advancing to the Sweet 16. And this week, we'll take a look at the UCLA Bruins with Mike Regalado, the UCLA beat writer for Bruin Report. UCLA needed overtime to beat Michigan State in the first four and has since rattled off double-digit wins over both BYU and Abilene Christian to reach the Sweet 16 for the first time since 2017. The Bruins are trying to become the first team since VCU in 2011 to go from the first four to the final four. They're also looking to reach an Elite Eight for the first time since 2008. Before we get started with today's episode, though, please give us an auto-download on your podcast platform so you'll get future episodes automatically. Left Coast Sports is on most podcast platforms right now, including Apple Podcasts, the free iHeartRadio app, YouTube, and Spotify. Please give us a review, too. And while you're here and listening, you can follow me on Twitter at John Schaefer. That's J-O-N-S-C-H-A-E-F-F-E-R at John Schaefer. How has UCLA made this improbable run to the Sweet 16 after losing each of their last four games of the regular season? Here's my conversation with Mike Regalado. Mike, are you as surprised as most people are with this run to the Sweet 16 by the Bruins considering the way the season ended? Not not really. Um, UCLA actually did play pretty tough um, in those four losses, you know, the three losses to end the regular season and the loss in the first round of the Pac-12 tournament. Um, that's one thing about UCLA. They've been playing close games all season long. And it just so happens that um, they came out on the wrong end um, against three of the best teams in the Pac-12. Um, because of the uh, COVID situation, the schedule has gotten all messed up. So UCLA had a very, uh, uh, how can I say, um, a back-heavy schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, and, if you know, there were talk about, you know, Will UCLA stumble? You know, are you, they're they're playing these close games, but eventually they they got to lose, and so they did against USC, Colorado, and uh, Oregon. The thing is, those games were were winnable. UCLA had leads in the second half of those games. Um, it just didn't turn out their way. Uh, so when it came to drawing Michigan, obviously that was a tough draw, but uh, it, it it seemed to match up really well for UCLA. BYU seemed to be the bigger issue, but I mean, that one actually surprised me a bit. I'm surprised UCLA was able to take control early in the game and, you know, not relinquish control. And against ACU, the big thing about them is that, you know, they're small and scrappy, but UCLA definitely has the players that can match up with uh, small, scrappy, uh, guard heavy teams. So um, I'm, I'm, I'm not surprised that they played this well. Um, although I am slightly shocked, it is, <laughs> it's really hard to win three, you know, not just two games, but they had, they won three to get into the sweet 16. What's amazing as well is that if Oregon state doesn't beat UCLA in the PAC 12 tournament, Oregon state's not in the tournament right now. And on this remarkable run, right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, that's, that's the great thing about, you know, college basketball and, uh, the big dance if teams get hot late in the season, 
Um, you know, and I get that there's some argument that, you know, they didn't, you know, their resume is not that great at the beginning of the season. Yes, but at the end of the season, if they make a run, if they win the conference tournament championship and get that seed, they definitely deserve to be in it. And from what we've, you know, seen in the NCAA tournament, uh, Oregon State is backing that up. So it, it's no surprise, you know, that for someone that, that, uh, watches, um, reports on UCLA, but also has to be, uh, cognizant of the rest of the Pac-12, uh, it, I'm, I'm not surprised. Oregon State is a really tough team. Is this run even more impressive considering that UCLA has been without Chris Smith, who people thought heading into the year could be a first-round pick, and they've been without Jalen Hill for the last six weeks at least as well? Yeah, and I would even throw in Dacian Nix there, right. the, uh, the uh, number one point guard uh, in the nation last year who – uh, opted for the G League, and you know, understandably so. You know, with COVID times, you, you're not exactly sure what's going to happen. So he opted for the G League rather than playing with UCLA. But to not have Dushan Nix backup uh, point guard or or point guard, you know, who knows what would have happened with Tiger Campbell. Either way, to have another point guard to have have the leading scorer from last season and to have the the Bruins' best defender not with them, it's it's a huge testament to not only what Mick Cronin and his staff has done um, on a coaching standpoint, but for these young players uh, to, to adapt and, um, and, and buy in. And, you know, we, we do about the buy-in last year, but the fact that they could adapt so quickly, that game against USC at USC where Jalen Hill and Cody Riley didn't play, that was a low point, definitely a low point. Um, but they adjusted. They realized we don't have Jalen Hill. All right, well, we're going to go with Cody Riley. We're bringing in that Um When Chris Smith went down around New Year's, they adjusted. Um, Johnny Juzang stepped up. Jules Bernard stepped up. Jaime Hawkes has been, you know, the glue guy, as everyone's been talking about. It's really impressive to see what this team uh, can turn itself into. And, and we saw this last year, too, because they, they – had a slump, I guess you would say, for the first half of the season. Then, it, then they seem to to get it. This year, um, just trying to ride the wave of everything that's handed to them, they're still getting it. So it, it's really impressive what's what's happening in Westwood. You know, you mentioned Juzang. What's what's the ceiling on him? Not just in this tournament, but moving forward. I mean, he's had an unbelievable tournament. Sixty-seven points in three games. What can we expect moving forward as well? You know, it's weird. Throughout the through the season, you know, he had games where he wasn't as hot shooting, and he definitely doesn't have uh, not the best defender on the team. And a lot of uh, UCLA pundits, uh, you know, even uh, uh, fans, were wondering why is he getting so much play, playing time. And Cronin said, you know, he just, you know, there's there's just you know something about him. He can see it in practice that he can go off when he needs to. And now that we're seeing like big games uh, happening, you know, Juzang is just stepping up, you know, he's doing what's asked of him. Uh, and it was even funny too. Juzang actually uh, put it, put on a pretty um, impressive defensive performance against BYU. And uh, uh, Mick Cronin joked after the game, he goes, uh, he's in trouble now because he just proved to us that he actually can play defense. So, <laughs> so it, it's interesting to see him not only shine offensively, but if he's going to be uh, uh an improved defender, that's just going to, you know, round him out uh, really well, not just for the um, however many games 
fly ahead in this season, but also for next season. Let's talk about this Bruins balance on offense. You know, we've talked about Juzang. You mentioned Jaime Jaquez, Jules Bernard, Tiger Campbell, Cody Riley. All of these guys average 10 or more points per game. Is this balance a big reason why they're so difficult to defend right now? I believe so. I mean, I, I called it in the uh, in the early part of the season. Um, you know, one of my friends was saying, you know, it's you know, he wonders how far they can go when they don't have a Chris Smith, when they don't have a go-to uh, scorer. And you know, I agree with him. You know, I I would love to have a clutch player, but at the same time, early on, we saw that all of these guys can score. You know, if they get the ball into Cody Riley, he's gonna he's gonna score double digits. Um, Tiger Campbell, one of the exceptions, but he's also showed that he can go off and, you know, put up a ton of points uh, uh, at, at, at random times. But then, you know, as you just said, Johnny Juzang, Jules Bernard, Jaime Jaquez, those are guys who you wouldn't expect them to be such prolific, consistent scorers. Um, you know, like, and like you said, what, five or six guys scoring in double digits. That's, mm-hmm. that's really good basketball. That is that is definitely sharing the ball. And, you know, it seems at times UCLA's offense, which is still pretty efficient, uh, it's been pretty efficient uh, all season long, definitely in the top 30. Um, you know, they, they're prone to having long streaks of, uh, of scoring droughts. Uh, but at the same time, they someone finds a way to score. The biggest uh, uh, surprise with me as a scorer this year is Jaime Hawkins. Honestly, I actually shouldn't say that big of, of a surprise. Because he's showed that he has the mental toughness and the grit to uh, to get things going, and obviously, you know, obviously, I mean, he, I, he's, I wouldn't say he's the team MVP, but he it, it, he's the guy that if he goes down, UCLA is completely screwed, in my mm. opinion. <laughs> You know, it also shouldn't be a surprise that they're having all the success on the defensive end when you consider Mick Cronin's the head coach, right? I mean, BYU from beyond the arc was 3-for-17 in the round of mm-hmm. 64. I think Abilene Christian shot something like 29% uh, in the round of 32. That shouldn't come as a surprise considering who the head coach is, right? Yes and no. <laughs> because uh, UCLA has not defended the three-point line well at all, and it was even it was a bigger surprise to see that they really shut down BYU. Um, Abilene Christian, I, I think they were, they were an average three-point shooting team, but yeah, I mean, same time. They put the pressure on. They were so much better defensively at switching, at, uh, uh, at, at rotating on defense, um, really suffocating at times, really giving both BYU and, and Abilene Christian uh, a really tough time, you know, for uh, forcing them to shoot late in the shot clock. It was really impressive. And, and it was also not shocking, too, knowing what uh, we have seen with Mick Cronin, uh, mostly last year. Last year, uh, I would say there was a better defensive team. But this year, um, you know, it just, for some reason, they just couldn't get it going in some games, um, which is a surprise with Cronin because he's more of a defensive guy. Um, but the way that they played uh, is definitely not shocking. It, it's, it's the potential that, that we've wanted to see, and now we're seeing it. How has Mick Cronin been able to do this in such a short period of time? I mean, last year, the team going from one of the worst in the Pac-12 to maybe one of the best by the season's end, and then really reinventing this team as well with all these injuries. Uh, I think he's a sorcerer, honestly. Um, <laughs> hmm. He has done such, like you said, just an amazing job. 
UCLA was uh, tied for last place at the start of Pac-12 play last year, and he goes and uh, was a three-point shot made by USC away from a Pac-12 title. <laughs> he comes, uh, he, he 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 has this season, and you're looking to see what the Bruins can do. They're returning most of what they have, and as we already said, you lose Chris Smith, you lose Jalen Hill. And they just got to reinvent themselves. McCronin has done a really good job of um, not only loading the roster and bringing up guys, you know, at key moments. One of the big things that really helped UCLA was bringing in freshman Mac Etienne, who's supposed to be a high school senior right now. Mm-hmm. Um, he brought him in uh, during that USC game when uh, uh, Hill and Riley were out. Uh, pretty impressive. Uh, hasn't put up a ton of numbers, but his effort and his defense, it shows a lot of his potential. Um, so to be able to kind of get him uh, game ready in just a few weeks, uh, because he also uh, enrolled at UCLA in January. So he's a a short amount of time. So it's stuff like that that is just impressive to see how Cronin uh, notices the strengths, notices the weaknesses, and uses both of them to his advantage, you know, when he can. And just, you know, and, and now they're a Sweet 16 team. It, it, it's incredible. So you look ahead to the Sweet 16, Mike. UCLA gets the two-seed Alabama on Sunday. What are going to be some of the keys for UCLA to come out in, on top in that one? UCLA has to dictate the tempo. Alabama is a fast team. They push the ball. Uh, so UCLA has to... Um, they still have to play their game offensively. I think they're, they've done a really good job, especially in the tournament, um, setting picks and screens, especially on, on the uh, perimeter. Um, so that, I think, offensively, uh, they should be okay. Uh, I would hope that they go to Cody Riley a little bit more to really make an impact in the paint. But I think the biggest factor is slowing down Alabama. Um you know, they just have some really prolific shooters. And I'm interested to see what, you know, that, the defense that has formulated in the last week. I want to see what that can do against a high-powered offense like Alabama. So um, I would say just dictate tempo, slow them down, make them uncomfortable, and hopefully that should result in a win. So for the Final 16 out of the Pac-12, UCLA, USC, Oregon, and Oregon State, in your opinion, which of those teams has the best chance to make a run to the Final Four? I would say, obviously, uh, Oregon and USC. The unfortunate thing is because since the NCAA committee didn't really give the Pac-12 credit, we have USC and Oregon going against each other in the Sweet 16 Mm -hmm. rather than a potential Elite Eight or you know even Final Four. They, they have to, to uh, go with the deal that they were drawn. And now we're going to get a really good Sweet 16 game because um, USC has uh, an amazing athlete in Evan Mobley. Uh, Oregon is just, when they're running on all cylinders, they are super dangerous. Um, and it's, uh, it, it, it says something about teams like UCLA and Oregon State who have been able to take them down. So, you know, I heard heard something say uh, someone talk about um, the Big Twelve. You know, they they didn't do so well because they beat up on each other and they ate themselves during the season. Yeah, so did the Pac-12. Uh, and 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 look where they're at: four teams in the Sweet Sixteen. 
this is a tougher conference than people uh, uh, believe it to be. Yeah, I completely agree with that. What impact do you think this year's tournament is ultimately going to have on the trajectory of Pac-12 basketball moving forward? Well, I think there's going to be a little bit more respect, especially if you um, have, obviously, one Pac-12 team is going to be in the in the uh, Elite Eight. Mm-hmm. But if you have a second or a third, and, and depending on how they play, uh, yeah, it's going to turn heads. Obviously, right now, as, as far as the tournament, four of the best 16 teams in the country are from the Pac-12. So that's, uh, that's huge. That's going to be big for recruiting. Um, for, someone like, for, for a team like UCLA, it's not only going to help that you're in the Sweet 16 in your coach's first NCAA tournament, but what also is going to help next year is that Jumpman money, mm. <laughs> that, that Jumpman branding from uh, Nike. So things are going to be, you know, not just for the Pac-12, but especially for UCLA, things are on the up and up. And then finally for you, Mike, I mean, it's the million-dollar question. Would you take in Zaga right now or the field with 16 teams remaining? That is, oh, I don't know. I'm not a betting man, and I tell people this. If, if I give you betting advice, do the opposite. <laughs> but, uh, I, you know, Gonzaga just looks really good. But, how, but can they sustain this success? You know, I, uh, I, I would go 50-50 on that one. Um, I, would ju- I, I would just say, hey, uh, football spring practice is coming up soon. Ah, don't look at me. <laughs> but uh, I, I, I do think that um, the way some of these teams have played, Michigan, Alabama, um, they can definitely make a run and, and, and put it to the Gonzaga. But if, you know, if my life was on the line, I'd go with Gonzaga. Mike, great stuff today. We appreciate your time and best of luck to the Bruins this weekend. Thank you very much. You guys take care. Thanks again to Mike Regalado from Bruin Report for joining us today. Again, the Bruins face the two-seed Alabama on Sunday, looking to get to their first Elite Eight since 2008. And we're less than two weeks away from crowning a national champion, and we've got you covered from now until the Nets are cut down on April 5th in Indianapolis. If you haven't already, please subscribe and auto-download future episodes on whichever podcast platform you're listening to this podcast on. Also, please leave a review, and again, follow me on Twitter, at John Schaefer, that's J-O-N, S-C-H-A-E-F-F-E-R at John Schaefer. Don't miss Advance to Indianapolis this month on Your View as we follow local teams and players on their journey to the national championship. Each week, Advance to Indy reviews the previous weekend's rounds and looks ahead to the upcoming weekend. Each show airs four times per week with 16 total show airings throughout the tournament. Advance to Indy includes interviews and expert analysis along with the local stories on the teams, players, and fans that make the madness of March so much fun. For more information, visit yourview.com. That's Y-U-R-V-I-E-W.com. Next week on Left Coast Sports, we'll get you ready for the Final Four in Indianapolis. Thanks for listening. We'll catch up next week right here on Left Coast Sports with John Schaefer.